Here at Doxaday Bloom, we are excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope that you enjoy today's message. Just a word to all the mothers from my side. We love you. We appreciate you. We are praying for you. And I trust that you will be blessed on this Mother's Day. We are heading for chapter 4 in our our Ephesians series. And I want to caution from the beginning, this is a very, very interesting chapter. You see, up until this point, for the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul was laying out the rich inheritance that we now have in Christ. We are in Christ as new creations in Him. But now he's transitioning, he's he's going for for a turning point a bit in the book. He's transitioning to how we walk as disciples of Jesus. And I want to caution you, don't just dive into chapter 4 if you haven't immersed yourself in chapter 1 to 3. And make sure that you have a grip on the truths of that, because this is the reason why. You see, you can't walk before you sit. You need to sit before you start walking. What do I mean by that? Well, my youngest son just started walking this week. And uh, for a moment there, my wife and I was becoming a bit cautious and a bit uh, frustrated because he wasn't walking uh, for the past few months. And then we consulted with a few people and they said, no, 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 it's actually good for a kid to crawl and sit first, to properly crawl, to properly sit before they start walking. And we asked why and they said, it's because of the stimulation on the ground, the discoveries that they make about the world and themselves on the ground. The moment they start walking, it's as if they just don't want to be on the ground anymore. So it's actually good for a kid to crawl. And spiritually speaking, it's the same for us. You see, Ephesians makes this, this case for us that uh, Paul describes our new position in Christ as being seated with Him in heavenly places. We have to get a grip on that. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Before we even can think about our daily walk as Christians, we have to get a grip on that, to sit with Christ in the heavenly places. And out of that place of authority and newness of life, we start to walk our daily walk um, in Christ and our Christian walk. You see, up until this point, Paul was describing our rich inheritance, that we are blessed, we are chosen, we are adopted, we are saved by grace, we died with Christ, we raised with Christ, we are seated with Him in heavenly places, we have the same power that raised Jesus from the grave, we have the length and the width and the height and the depth of God's love, we are filled with the fullness of God. But this new identity, this new position that we have in Christ, has implications on our daily walk as Christians. And this is where chapter 4 comes in. Let's read that first verse again. Paul says, Therefore, with everything in mind of chapter 1 to 3, I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling that you have received. You see, many times we can misunderstand this scripture by thinking it's say, Paul is saying, you see, we have to walk worthy, then God will call us. And we're not speaking about calling for full-time ministry or for any other vocation. We're speaking about God calling us from darkness into light. You see, that's law when we think like that. 
when we walk worthy, God will call us. No, grace says it's because you are worthy. It's because you have a new identity. And out of that place of see, being seated with Him, you start walking in the newness of life. That's the new covenant. Paul describes it in, in, in Philippians like this. He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. The misunderstanding of that scripture is, well, you have to figure your salvation out, work out your salvation, then God will give it to you with fear and trembling. But actually Paul is saying this salvation that you have received by grace in Jesus Christ, you have to let that salvation start, start to work itself out in your life, in your daily life. Do something with your salvation. And the first place that Paul takes us in chapter 4 of Ephesians, the first implication of our new life in Jesus Christ is this. He wants us to grow up spiritually, to become mature in the faith. That is the whole, the whole theme of this chapter in the book of Ephesians. Grow up. You see, we all start out as babies, spiritual babies. We need the church to grow up. If you ever think that the church, if, uh, this, uh, is the church still relevant today? Absolutely. We need the church to grow up spiritually. We all start out as babies and we are immature, all of us are immature in comparison to Christ. Paul speaks about we are the little children. Speaking of himself, he was an apostle and he called himself a little child in the faith. Well, if that's true about him, then I'm probably three minutes old in the faith. But here's the fact, we are born again, speaking about babies coming into the family of God. But friends, we can't stay babies. You see, it's awesome to have babies in the house. They are cute. Moms, am I right? They are cute. We make a big fuss of them. They are awesome to have. But you don't want your matric child to still suck his thumb in matric. That's not cute. That's just awkward. Because we have to mature in the faith. You see, babies are, first of all, not discerning well. Ephesians 4 verse 14, Paul says the following, Then we will no longer be little children. So Paul puts an emphasis on that. We won't be little children anymore. We have to grow up. Because little children are tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness in the te techniques of deceit. You see, babies eat everything on the ground, Good stuff, bad stuff, they just eat anything. Just the other morning, I woke up with my youngest son there with me by the bed and I see a pancake in his hand and he's eating it. And the first question in my mind is, when did we actually eat pancakes? I can't even remember. And the second thing was, well, then I don't have to feed him breakfast. You see, they eat everything. And they touch everything, normal things, dangerous things. I mean, how much money did you spend on that plug protectors in your house just to keep them from touching dangerous things? They can't tell the difference between good and bad for them. And the same with spiritual babies. They can't tell if the teaching that they are receiving is good for them. It's true. Or if it's false or if it's toxic for them. 
They are blown around by every wind of teaching. This new pastor comes onto the screen and they just follow his teaching. This new teaching comes and they just follow that teaching. They can't discern which is good or bad for them in their walk with Christ. The, th the second thing about a baby is babies are very selfish. All the moms say, Amen. Verse 2, Paul says, We have to be humble with all gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. You see, babies want what they want when they want it. You can't tell a baby when to want something. Then God gives them siblings. Hallelujah. <laughs> to save them. <laughs> so that they learn how to share. That they don't grab one another. That they discover that they are not the only human beings in the world and that their desires are not the most important in the world. God gives them siblings. You see, a baby is selfish. The same with spiritual babies. Spiritual babies are always thinking about themselves first. They're not thinking about others. They ask questions like, what do people think of me? Do others treat me right? Do I like this sermon or this preacher or this song or this worship set? Why don't I get attention? They don't like criticism. They don't, write, they don't like admitting when they are wrong. Babies are selfish. Third thing about a baby is babies are not steady. <laughs> and Paul says in verse 14, No longer will we be children tossed by the waves, blown around. Uh, by every wind of teaching. You see, babies have a very short attention span. That's why all the baby toys has got this, these lights and music and things. It's to keep them busy. It's to keep them focused on this thing. Because just for a moment, they are laughing. Then they are crying. Then they want something else to play with. You have to keep them entertained. You have to keep them focused on the thing. They don't have a very big attention span. And the same with spiritual babies. Spiritual babies would sit in a teaching or a sermon and the Holy Spirit would come and convict them of something. They will walk out of there and say, Yo, I have to do something about this in my life. But they will never do something about it. They will get caught up in the next thing that they see or hear. When it's going good, well, then they are invested. They feel good. They are part of church. They are um, spending time with the Lord. They are reading their Bibles. When it's going bad, they become impatient. They just want to get out of this bad situation. And we sometimes throw a bit of a spiritual sauce over it and just say, no, we need a breakthrough from the Lord. Well, sometimes God doesn't want to give us a breakthrough because He's busy with us in the trouble, in the problem. You see, that's maturity in the faith. To ask the Lord, what are you busy with in my difficulty that I'm facing at the moment? In Luke chapter 2, 10, Jesus, uh, he was working with his disciples. He sent them out to go with all authority. They came back and they said to him, Jesus, all the demons submit to, our, to us. This is incredible. And then Jesus answers them and say, no, no, no. Don't get too excited about demons submitting to you. That's like Christianity 101. You've been given all authority. Be excited because your names are written in heaven. What is Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying, friend, don't get caught up in the sensation 
of Christianity or the, or the thrills, the spectacular things. Get excited about the fact that Jesus saved you from your sin, that you are forgiven in Him, that you've been given a new life in Jesus Christ, that you are accepted in the Beloved. Get excited about that. That is going to keep your joy running for the rest of your life. Now, we can agree to some extent all of us on a scale are spiritually immature. What do we do about it? The first thing is this. Don't be shocked at the immaturity of other believers. You see, we are saved not, not because we're mature. We are saved by grace. God called us into His kingdom. That's how we are saved. We should rejoice when we see baby Christians. <laughs> you see, the only people that are annoyed by immature behavior in, in the faith are immature Christians. My eldest son is definitely annoyed by my younger son's behavior. Why? Because he's still also immature. Mature Christians rejoice in the fact that there are baby Christians in the home. And they see the potential to help them grow into maturity. They have enough character and patience to journey with baby Christians through the steps, even the dirty diapers. They're willing to walk the journey of maturity. The second thing is this. Don't make peace with the immaturity in your own life. You might be sitting here and listening to the sermon and there are certain things that that's really an issue in your life. You're not really... You're not really dealing with it at the moment. You know, bad attitude or uh, habits that have grown on you the past few years, bad, bad habits in your life. And you're just saying, well, this is just who I am. Deal with it. This is who I am. Friend, I want to say no. <laughs> Sit. Chapters 1, to 3. Go and immerse yourself again in this the inheritance that you have been given in Christ. You are a new creation in Him. You are seated with Him in heavenly places. You can't just make peace with the fact that you're not growing at the moment. You see, a Christian is always growing. Humbler every year. More self-control. More peace in his life. We have a God who's busy working in and through us. And we are maturing. Don't make peace with the fact that you are stuck spiritually. Now, my question, my last question for us together is this. How do kids mature in the home? It's actually, it's actually not that difficult. It's deep relationship with their parents and responsibility or ownership or contribution in the household. You give them a small bit of responsibility, then they grow towards that immaturity, then you give them a bit more in relationship with their parents. It's the same in the church. Ephesians 4 verse 11. Listen to this. Jesus gave some to be apostles, prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for their work of ministry. Why? To build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of God's Son. Growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. How do we grow up spiritually? First thing, the knowledge of the Son of God. Relationship with God. And secondly, 
ministry in the church, relationship with one another. When we are being ministered to, we receive ministry and we give ministry. That's how we grow in the church. And the first thing that we, uh, that we see how that is actually happening in the church is the unity to, to start protecting and working and taking responsibility for the unity in the church. Throughout the first few chapters of Ephesians, Paul laid down the foundation that we are united in Christ. He gave the gift of unity to the church. But now, chapter 4 verse 3, he says, God this unity. Protect the unity that He has given in the church. That shows you are actually mature. You are contributing to the body. You are fighting for the unity of the body of Christ. And then He gives us one, just one practical thing. How we do that. How do we guard the unity? How we work on the body of Christ? And it's this. In, it's in, in verse 14. He says, You will no longer be children tossed around and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness in the techniques of deceit, but speaking the truth in love. Let us grow in every way into Him who is the head, Christ. He gives us a way of growing into this kind of maturity. Speaking the truth in love. See, kids don't know how to do that. I mean, my eldest boy is a living example of that. He is constantly telling everyone in the house that they stink. That's not really telling the truth in love. You see, to tell the truth, to speak the truth in love is absolute honesty. Yes, absolute honesty, saturated with the sweetness and the tenderness of God's love for that person. You see, love without truth is not really love. You might be saying, well, I'm a person like that. I love people. <laughs> I don't want to tell them the truth. I don't want to hurt them. Uh, I don't want to be disliked by people. My friend, you're not loving people if you think like that. Real love says, I'm taking the risk of speaking the truth to that person in love so that they may grow up in Christ, so that they may be blessed. I'm not doing it because I want to feel superior or I have motives to make myself look better than what I really am or to hurt someone. My motive is for this person to get a grip on what God has for them. I see the potential in their life, so I speak the truth in love. But you see, truth without love is a lie. You might be saying, well, I'm one of those people. I just give it to people straight. They can do with, with what I've said, what they want to do with that. My friend, <laughs> you're not speaking truth. You're speaking a lie. Why? Because they, they won't even hear what you are saying. And second of all, they will harden their hearts to what you are saying. You see, it's this mix, this miraculous mix of truth, absolute honesty, and the motivation of love that brings growth in a Christian's life. I have two stories, quick stories. One wasn't a very good example. The one was a very good example. First one, I was in a leaders meeting way back 
luckily not this church, but I was in a leaders meeting and one of the leaders stood up in the meeting and said, listen, you just want to say Eugene has got a really irritating voice. <laughs> now, he, was, he, has, he obviously had the right to say that. It was the wrong environment and it wasn't the truth in love at that stage. And it didn't help me at that moment. It could have been done much better. And today I probably agree, I have an ir irritable voice, I don't know. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is that didn't help me to grow as a Christian in that moment. They could have maybe go, gone to someone who oversees me, a leader in my life, and actually ask, how do I communicate something like that to Eugene? Second story, I remember... After one worship rehearsal, my dad came up to me. He was in my worship team at that time. And my dad came up to me and said, Son, I love you so much. I think you're a brilliant worship leader. But I want to caution you. You are a bit too harsh with your worship team members. And I thought to myself, Yo, but they were late. They didn't rehearse. I mean, I wanted to start and what, what, what. But that conversation had such a deep impact in my life that up until this day, I work very cautiously and very graciously with the team members of the ministry team that I lead. Why? Because someone had the courage to come and speak the truth, but in the context of love. And it helped me to grow spiritually. At the end of this sermon, I want us to make two commitments. The first commitment is this, Lord, I want to grow up spiritually. I want to commit myself to spiritual growth. I want to be teachable, open for receiving the truth in love. But secondly, God, I want to commit myself to God, the unity of the church. To give myself, not to, not to make any space in the body of Christ for the enemy to come and bring disunity and pain and destruction in the body of Christ. I want to commit myself to speak the truth in love. Let me pray for you at the end of our time. God, we are so blessed by, by your word again today. Thank you that you've given us everything, Lord, to walk worthy of the calling that we have received. We have received so much, Lord, and today we can just respond to say, Lord, we want to work walk worthy of the calling that we have received. God, I pray that we will commit ourselves to spiritual growth, that we will commit ourselves to speak the truth in love. Lord, you are the God of the church. You are the, the head of the church. And today, we bless your name for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Make sure that you get connected to this family on mission by joining us at one of our Sunday services.